It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here's Donald. Carry it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Moving on down the top. Bell breaks a tackle. Looking downfield, fires this one, and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seats Studios, use the promo code OVERTIME to get yourself up to 100 bucks off your very first purchase. When you download the Vivid Seats mobile app, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And it's time for the weekend mailbag. So for that, of course, as always, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, it's been an interesting week in Jetland, hasn't it? Always is. There's always something with this team. It's uh, unique and interesting for sure. Always. We will have the injury report on Sunday morning, first thing. We're going to release the pregame report, and we'll have Dr. Stoller talking about it. But let's just say there's some stuff to talk about with the injury report this week and lots of questions to answer. So let's get right to it, and we'll start with Michael Pallas from the Jet Up Bleeding Green podcast. He says, as a follow-up to last week's question, how long would Sam Darnold have to be out before you would call it a lost season? See, this kind of depends on what you mean by lost season. I think it's already probably a lost season in terms of them being able to make the playoffs, but that was always sort of a long shot anyway. I think that this season was always about improvement, about the development of Darnold, and about seeing if certain key pieces were going to be here for the long haul. So in addition to Darnold, how good was Quinn and Williams going to be? Would Quinn and Williams make Leonard Williams better and then make it so the Jets would want to keep Leonard Williams here on a long-term deal? Is a player like Nate Hairston a potential starter at cornerback beyond 2019? And if so, does that mean the Jets only have to go out and get one new cornerback? Is Chuma Adoga one of the answers on the offensive line? Who stays, who goes going into 2020 on that offensive line? And so on and so forth. I think that's what you're looking at the rest of the season, regardless of when Sam Darnold comes back, because I don't think this team is going to make the playoffs and the odds were never great that they were going to. But if they can show progress and say, finish strong, get seven wins, eight wins, then I don't think it's a lost season from that perspective. But if you're asking about when it's a lost season as far as competing for the playoffs, we've probably reached that point already. Yeah, that that was my exact thought process too. If if lost season means uh, missing the playoffs, then the season's probably lost already. Um, obviously, they're not mathematically eliminated yet, and we know that after these next few games, they still got the Eagles, Cowboys, Patriots, and Jags before the schedule opens up, uh, and the schedule gets much easier then. But even best case scenario, it it it. it seem a huge stretch to think that they could make the playoffs 
But like you said, as, as that seemed like a stretch from the beginning anyway, especially uh, once we really got close to the season and we saw the type of shape this offensive line was in after we saw, uh, you know, Brandon Copeland and that with Herndon suspension and then Avery Williamson goes out with injury and then Quincy Nunn was lost for the season in the first game and like the, the playoffs were always pretty much a pipe dream and they're still a super pipe dream right now so if that's what you're hanging your hat on here then it's probably a lost season but like you said that shouldn't be the way that we judge this team um, I never really thought that was the way we should judge this team because there just wasn't enough talent on this team to hold them to a playoff or bus standard. And that's even without taking away, um, you know, CJ Mosley and Sam Darnold for the, this stretch of games. So, um, everything you just said, it's, it's about seeing what you have in Darnold in year two, how Darnold and Gase, uh, work together. Uh, what, what type of offense is Gase running with Darnold? Um, under the uh, behind the center, uh, you know what? What do we see from Braxton Barrios? What do you see from uh, you know Marcus May? Can Marcus May stay healthy for the whole season? He's he's played really well so far. You brought up Nate Harrison, Blake Cashman, uh, you know Chuma Adoga. If he's going to get a shot on the offensive line there, Alex Lewis and Tom Compton. Uh, one of them is likely to get a shot this weekend here uh, coming up. So. There's still a lot of things they have to figure out roster-wise. Still a lot of progress you want to see made. We already kind of have an answer to one of the questions, which is, you know, what's Le'Veon Bell going to look like? Obviously, he can look a lot better if the offensive line can improve and open up holes for him. But we've seen he's still really good. Um, that, that's one thing that we have answered. Uh, but there's a whole lot of questions you're going to need answers to before heading into next off season. And that's really what the season's about. And you're going to want to see them string together a bunch of wins against this, the lesser opponents that they're going to be playing after, you know, this first huge stretch of tough games is finally over with. Next question comes in from Michael Kekka, Gase the Confused. He says, guys, I have to ask, who do I have to talk to to get a sweet Spleen going to do what it's going to do, Darnold shirt. <laughs> I'm thinking that the man to talk to is Joe Caparoso on that one, but that would be an interesting shirt. Yeah, that that was a great line. Spleen's going to do what it's going to do, and that is absolutely correct. It is going to do what it's going to do. Uh, it was very funny to combine that with uh, you know that meme generator that's been going around with Darnold. Um, it, it, at least we're all getting lots of laughs out of this, right? Like I, I know how frustrated Jets fans are about everything, understandably so, but at least there's a lot of good comedy to be pulling from this, right? Yeah, that's really the silver lining here is that there's some funny stuff. Of course, it's mildly terrifying that the guy had mono and could have theoretically died on the football field, but, you know, there's a little bit of comedy involved too. Got to have a little bit of levity. Well, yeah, you you want to take it to the dark place. All right, okay, I see how it's going here. But yeah, no, you know, there's there's a report that they think that he was, uh, you know, the Brian Costello had the report that they think that he was dealing with mono much earlier than they first believed, which means that he was definitely playing with it, which is spleen enlarged at the time, if that is the case. 
and yeah, he definitely could have taken the shot and and had a huge problem there. So definitely uh, got lucky that they didn't have any huge complications from that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. This, this is, again, this is a thing that would only happen to the Jets. Next question comes in from Peter J. Dillard. He says, "Gentlemen and gangsters." Assuming Darnold plays Sunday, can we all agree that Gase should be fired for not looking after the team's best interest? Also, at what point does the team start playing Wesco and Adoga and decrease the playing time of Williams for Foley and Phillips? So let's start with the first part of this. You and I were talking about this earlier before we started recording, Chris. Here's the story with Sam Darnold. If any player, Sam Darnold or anybody else, gets medically cleared to play... That player is not going to be in danger of dying because I've seen people say, oh, well, they're going to rush him back and he's going to be at risk of dying. Listen, if his spleen is normal size, he's no more at risk of dying as he was before he had the mono. Now, we could have arguments as to whether or not he should play based on other merits. And Chris, I'll let you talk about that because I know that's something you've talked about on Twitter. But I don't necessarily think that you can say that Gay should be fired over it. Because even if you're going to say that Sam Darnold is going to be 50% strength or 40% strength or 60% strength or whatever, that's still probably better than Luke Falk. And if he's not in any more danger than he would be otherwise, then it's really a discretion call. And we can argue over whether or not it's a good idea to play him, but I don't think that it's anything that would risk Sam Darnold's long-term health. And also, as much as I have problems with Adam Gase, I don't think he's a monster. I don't think he's looking to risk anyone's life just to be able to try and win one game. As far as the second part of this question, Wesco and Adoga, I hope they get more playing time as soon as possible. Although with Wesco, the clock is ticking because Christopher Herndon is going to be back after the Eagles game. So I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do with him. With Adoga, if this keeps up much longer with the offensive line, they're going to have no choice but to play him. And with Foley and Phillips, we'll see what Leonard Williams does when Quinn and Williams comes back. I think that's the real test here. If Leonard Williams starts performing better with Quinn and Williams next to him, then he'll be able to hold those guys off. If he continues to do what he's done the first few weeks, then yeah, you're going to see more of Foley and Phillips. With Darnold, I tweeted about this the other day, and the reaction to it drove me nuts and I haven't gone back on Twitter since because that's what Twitter does. Um, you know, I tweet something out and then people make a bunch of assumptions off my tweet. I think this is what ends up happening. Cause I think that a lot of people were objecting, thinking that I was saying if they played Arnold, that like there's a risk to him dying or something, which is not at all. If he gets cleared by the doctors, then he's there's not going to be a chance of him dying. If there's any chance of, you know, something like that happening, that's because his spleen is still enlarged and he's not going to get cleared. My thing was, if it was just four, when I tweeted, it was four days away from the game and he still hadn't been cleared from con- for contact. I would want, if I'm making the decision, I want him to be completely cleared for everything for at least a full week before I expect him to go out and play. I would want him to be fully, uh, to be able to build up his conditioning back uh, to be fully confident that he's been lifting, he's been doing every single thing that he needs to do for at least a full week. I'm not waiting till two days before the game starts and, and they say, okay, you cleared him today, you play in two days, go play. Um, 
I, I when we were talking earlier off the air, I, I made these two comparisons. Whether you know, when I was younger, that I w- would get sick, and I used to go out and party all the time, and I'd be like itching to go out again. I I got sick of being stuck on the couch, and I'd be like, oh, I feel so much better than I did yesterday. I feel great now, and then I'd go out. And I'd have like two drinks and I'd be like, oh man, I didn't feel as good as I thought. I, was, I, I wasn't ready for all this. Like I, I felt great compared to what I felt when I was death, almost deathly ill two days ago. But in actual uh, comparison to how I normally feel, I wasn't there. And the same type of thing as just somebody who goes to the gym all the time. You get the flu and then you start feeling better and you're like, Hey, I feel great now because I got this cloud of the flu is no longer here. And then you go into the gym or you go in right back into your full normal routine or you're easing yourself back into it. Because if you're going to go do what you normally try to do, you're probably getting halfway through and being like, I don't have the strength and the energy for this because you feel great because you're comparing it to how you felt the day before and the day before. Then you can't, comparing it to how you feel normal every day of your life because you don't you can't do that um and people talk about oh he he spent all offseason conditioning he had mono for three weeks he wasn't able to do anything i would think that if you cleared him and yes he's not going to be at risk of dying but you can't tell me that he's not at risk of pulling him you know a muscle or like something like uh, it just seems crazy to me, and it also seems crazy to me because they're already zero and three. The season is already lost. They're playing an Eagles team. I know last week we talked about uh, I I talked about how this Eagles team looked uh, more beatable than we thought going into the season, but then they went and they uh, beat up on on the Packers, and the offense looked really good. The defensive line still looks really good, and they've had. 10-day break because they played on a Thursday night. So, I, with Darnold, without Darnold, I don't see them winning this game. They're already 0-3, 1-3, 1-4, or 0-4. I don't really see the difference playing out for this season. So, why rush it? I would take my time, and I would give him at least a full week of being able to do anything. But if he gets cleared by the doctors, then he's not going to die. So, it's not anything super reckless like that, but I would think that the chances of him like pulling a muscle or or something along those lines would increase at least slightly. And again, I would I wouldn't rush it again for this game. That's me, and people are allowed to disagree, but I just don't understand the urgency for why you're trying to rush him back here and have him play two days after being potentially being cleared. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. 
Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Tim. He says, do you think that the Jets put a little too much stock in the idea that Sam Darnold was going to play against Philadelphia, regardless of whether he was ever actually going to play or not? The issue here is, should they have been more prepared just in case? In other words, do you go into a game against Philadelphia with Luke Falk? Or was there another route they could have gone? Surely there's somebody they could have signed that's better than Luke Falk. Talked about this on the podcast with Manish earlier this week. The problem is with the short amount of time, the only thing you could do is get somebody that's familiar with the Gase offense because there's no way that a guy could be ready to be in football shape and learn the Gase offense within less than two weeks. The only real candidates for this are David Fales, who they already released, and Brock Osweiler. If you want to argue that Brock Osweiler would have been a good signing because maybe he gives the Jets a marginally better chance to beat the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday, I suppose you could make that argument. And I actually had a discussion about this on Twitter with Tyson Roush, the host of Let's Talk Jets. We were going back and forth. He's more in the Jets should have gotten somebody camp. I don't think it really matters. I think you could make that case about Osweiler and maybe he gives you a marginally better chance than Falk, but I don't think he's moving the needle. Again, he would have had to get into football shape and get the offense down in less than two weeks. That's a lot to ask, even though he has prior experience in the Gase offense. He's not any good, so it's not like he's going to be moving the needle. Maybe instead of being a 14-point underdog, the Jets would have been a 13.5-point underdog. And at that rate... I'd rather just roll with Luke Falk for one week because, as I've said before, I think Gay sees Falk as a developmental project to turn into a long-term backup. I'd rather see if Luke Falk has learned anything from the six quarters of football that he's played and if he improves against Philadelphia because it wouldn't take a lot of improvement to be better than Brock Osweiler anyway. We're talking about just one game here, too. If we were talking about multiple games and maybe you would have thought about trading for somebody or you could have said, okay, if they get Brock Osweiler, Maybe he's not super sharp in the first game, but he'd still be better than Falk going forward and give you a better chance to win for the next month. But I just think with this one game, even if Falk were to play, there's not really much you were going to be able to do. So that's my take on it. I don't think that it's a big deal. I suppose you can make the case that they should have signed somebody like Osweiler, but I'm not losing any sleep over it. And I would rather see Luke Falk get a chance to prove that he's learned something and maybe take a step forward anyway, because 
at best, somebody like Osweiler is a slight, slight marginal improvement. And that's not really that big of a deal to me because I don't think that they're winning this game with or without Brock Osweiler. And I don't think he really gives them that much more of a chance to win anyway. Yeah, with the way that they've approached just this week, uh, you know, it's it's a little, uh, admittedly, I'm a little like, oh, okay, they're going full press as if Sam Darnold was starting. And, you know, obviously if Sam can't go, then that handcuffs them a little bit more and makes it even harder because they didn't give Luke Falk the entire to week to prepare and get ready. But it, here's the thing. It doesn't matter. If Sam Darnold can't play, then they, then they don't have a chance to win this game. Uh, so they might as well go ahead and give Sam the entire week to get ready. And then at least that, that gives him a, a head start on getting ready for next week. If he can't go this week, um, whether Luke Falk gets the, the full week worth of practice uh, isn't going to be enough to get – it's not going to magically turn him into a much better quarterback that's good enough for them to beat the Eagles. So I, I have no real objection with doing that. Uh, I still, again, wouldn't uh, wouldn't be playing Darnold, and I just chalk this up as a loss. But as far as the idea of, like, you can just go find somebody that's better than Luke Falk, and – there's still starting quarterbacks in this NFL that are just not good. There's still bad starting quarterbacks in the NFL. You can't just find guys off the street or just even on somebody else's bench that you can just plug and play and say, here, go ahead. And, you know, again, like you said, they have to have some familiarity with the system and the offense. Otherwise, you're very you're limiting how many different plays they can run. You're really stripping down the offense to their bare bones. So even if you were to take like you know obviously Jacoby Brissett's a starter now in Indianapolis, but even let's just say hypothetically it, it just pluck him and start him, he has no familiarity with the system. So then you have to limit him to what he can do, and that's not going to do very much. And then there's you're not anybody you're talking about is not going to be good enough to win games. Brock Osweiler is not moving the needle at all. Like I don't, I I don't know what people have been watching when they watch Brock Osweiler. Maybe they just haven't watched him enough. I I I'm not feeling confident about Brock Osweiler doing anything. The only thing I'm confident in is that team is more than likely going to lose. Um, and that's the same with Luke Falk, but it's going to be the same with any other name you throw out there. There is not a, a name that you could possibly throw out there that I could say, yeah, hey, they could win, they could beat the Eagles with that guy playing quarterback for them this week. I, there's not a single name you can throw out there that I would agree with that with. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Chris, there is one name that we forgot. Somebody that's very familiar with the Adam Gase offense, and he's unemployed and available right now. Hey, Jay Cutler, what's up, buddy? 
<laughs> Jay Cutler. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm young for that. Do I mean let please let me cover Jay Cutler, but they're not winning a game with Jay Cutler. I'd be for it for one reason and one reason only. Jay Cutler means that we would see Kristen Cavallari, and I'm always in favor of that. I just want to cover him. I want to see him make his faces at the the uh, reporters asking questions. I want to see that stank face. I I want to see him person uh, uh, up close and personal. That I that would be an amazing gift. I'll tell you what, you can cover that and watch Jay Cutler's facial expressions, and I'll watch Kristen Cavallari. Sound good? All right, deal. Deal. <laughs> Next question comes in for Ben Marsh. He says, Jets fans Thursday. This team better play Darnold. Jets fans on Monday after Darnold plays. Our quarterback is dead. Guys, we're cursed. Chris and Scott, <laughs> please discuss Jets fans. <laughs> 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 How long you got? How long you got? Uh, we, we could we could do a, like a seven year podcast just discussing Jet fans. Ben, bless you for that question. By the way, that was awesome. I get what's going on here. There's a lot of emotions involved when you're talking about sports. You have a lot of people yelling a lot of loud opinions. When you're talking about medical stuff, you have a lot of people chiming in that don't really know what they're talking about. I'm certainly no expert on this. I'm not a doctor. I've spoken to Dr. Stoller about this. And the bottom line here is, as we've talked about before, if his spleen is normal size, he's no more at risk of getting killed than he would have been before the mono. Now, Chris made arguments about whether or not it's smart to play him regardless, but I don't think that his long-term health would be at risk if he's playing. As far as Jets fans take on this whole thing, though, like I said, everybody's emotional, and so everybody wants what they want at that second. They want to see Darnold come in and hopefully, quote-unquote, save the season, but then obviously if there's a setback, they're going to be really upset about it. The thing that I think of with this is Kevin Durant. If you recall, Warriors fans were all itching for him to rush back because they thought that he could salvage the series and help the Warriors get that championship. And then in the process, he ends up getting hurt and being out for an entire year. The Warriors lost the series anyway. Now, I don't think that Darnold has that kind of risk attached to him because it's a whole different injury. And the fact that Kevin Durant had that knee injury, as we now know, made him much more susceptible to what ended up happening, which was an Achilles tear. But... The point is still the same. Fans want what they want at that moment, and some of them don't think about the long-term consequences. Some of them think too much about the long-term consequences because then we hear all this stuff about, oh, Sam's going to die. As we said, if he's cleared, he's not going to die on the football field because of his spleen. Anything's possible because it is football, and I don't want to be morbid, but... It's a violent game and anything can happen, but as far as his spleen, it wouldn't be at any extra risk. So essentially what I'm saying is Jets fans are irrational, but sports fans in general are irrational. That's the way it is, and we've come to accept that. In fact, I'm sure that we're plenty irrational ourselves from time to time, whether we want to admit it or not. I'm glad you brought up the Kevin Durant thing. Obviously, like you said, it's a completely different scenario. But the thing about it that's interesting to me is remember everybody's reaction to that everybody was it it was like oh my god yes we we were questioning if he was soft or he should have played and then he came back and he got hurt like almost right away and it was like everyone was acting like we learned our lesson we're not going to do this anymore we're not going to judge players try to rush them back and then it was like a second later that they went right back to doing that like 
<laughs> like, <laughs> we just forgot about that. Collectively, everyone was just like, eh, screw that. Let's move on. Let's go back to our old ways of just rushing people back and calling people soft because they're not out there playing right away. Um, we never learn as, as consumers of sports. We, we never, ever learn, especially when there's emotions behind it. And, you know, if the Jets are able to hold on in that first game of Buffalo and get that win, I don't feel like there would be a, as as much emotions behind this. I think it's because they're sitting there at 0-3, and right now every time you hear somebody on the radio or on TV talk about all the all, all the teams without wins, you see the Jets mentioned in there. And I think fans just really want that first win more than anything right now. Is They just don't want to be oh and whatever. And so that seems to be the driving force behind a lot of this. But it's just, uh, I don't know. I like, yes, again, they're not, I don't think he's at risk of dying if they're going to clear him. But I do think that it's just probably not smart overall. And it's just, I, you'd be better suited to just wait. But I get the desire, I, I, but I don't also, again, because this is a, a, they're 0-3 already, the playoffs are over, I don't think they're winning even if Darnold does play, so I, I just wouldn't rush them back, but I, I get that there's fans that are going to be that way no matter what, uh, but we never learned a lesson with this, like I said, everyone's reaction to Kevin Durant was, oh, we really need to rethink this now, and then immediately it was just like, eh, no, never mind, on to questioning the next guy who gets hurt. Next question comes in from Paulie Brzez. He says, thoughts on the most important week in wrestling history? I think that might be overstating the case a little bit, Paulie. Will Chris be Team NXT or Team AEW, or will he enjoy both shows? What is he looking forward to most on the debut episode of Friday Night SmackDown? So I'll answer this first, even though this is mainly for you, Chris, funny as that is. I enjoyed both shows on Wednesday, and I hope that both shows will continue to be good. I thought the wrestling was good. The storytelling was a little iffy on AEW, but to be fair, it was the first episode. NXT is in much more of a groove already because it's an established product. So as time goes on, I'm sure AEW will do a better job of telling stories in addition to the wrestling matches. The one thing that I'm hoping AEW is careful about is I don't want them to turn Cody Rhodes into AEW's version of TNA Jeff Jarrett, where because he's a name and he's somebody that's heavily involved in the company's management, he ends up being pushed a lot at the top of the card and given a bunch of title runs. That was a mistake with Jarrett. It would be a mistake with Cody Rhodes. Cody's a solid hand in the ring, but he has no business being at the top of any card. And as far as what we're looking forward to the most on SmackDown, Chris doesn't even watch wrestling, and I'm sure he'll agree with me anyway. The return of The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. What I'm looking forward to most Friday night is uh, watching UCF play Cincinnati. <laughs> um, that that's 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 what I'm much looking. And uh, and it's not you know UCF Cincinnati is not some great game, but uh, you know it's the only game that's on. So that that's what I'll be looking at. I'll I'll have one whichever uh, baseball game is a playoff game is on on one of the TVs too. Uh, so yeah, that that's what I'm looking forward to most on on the Friday night. You're not even gonna check in for a quick second to see The Rock. I mean, I, I didn't, I did not know that that was a thing. Um, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm not gonna do that though. <laughs> Next question comes <laughs> in from Beningo's Wrath. He says, 
What are the top five positions of need for the Jets right now other than middle linebacker and quarterback temporarily because of mono? The obvious answers here are the Jets need a cornerback. They need a lot of offensive line help. They need help at edge rusher. They need help at wide receiver. And they need interior defensive line help. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) It's just to drive a few people crazy. Those are the four positions, really, that they need. I don't know where else you would say it's a major need. I guess we could split this up and say guard and tackle. If we really want to get ambitious, we could say guard, tackle, and center. But those are the four real areas. They need a playmaker at wide receiver. They need a cornerback, probably two. They need multiple players on the offensive line, and they need at least one edge rusher, maybe two. Yeah, see, I was going to go ahead and answer it this way and say they need a left tackle, they need a left guard, they need a center, they need a right guard, and they need a right tackle. Those are the five most important positions that they need. And, yes, they all happen to play on the offensive line. I will give you bonus answers, though, and they need an extra cornerback, at least one, maybe two. They need at least one more receiver, and they need you know a pass rusher, probably two. Uh, so, so you go there, but I'm going to go ahead right now with the shape that this roster is in. The five most important positions are those offensive line positions. I think you can get away with probably only doing three of them and then adding something else and maybe be all right. But uh, those are the most important positions. I, I talk about this all the time. People talk about it. Offensive line is the biggest thing that separates the good teams from the bad teams. Oh, the good teams all have good offensive lines. The bad teams all have bad offensive lines. And you have to protect quarter, your quarterback and Sam Darnold. You have to give him time to throw the ball to his receivers. You have to give Le'Veon Bell room to run. It's the offensive line. It's that simple. They have other needs, important needs, but the offensive line is the most important. That's going to wrap up part one of the weekend mailbag. We will be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, go ahead and read Chris's very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. Follow him on Twitter at CNimbly and at JetsInsider. Follow his deputy editor, the president of the Calvin Anderson fan club. Even though Calvin Anderson has been picked up by another team, Alan Schechter at Alan underscore S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.